Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 60. We are in the 60th episode, and we are an Oathbringer. We are doing chapters 17 through 20, and we have some Kaladin point of view to, to go through this week. Got a little bit of Shalon and Dalinar, I believe. Paul, how are you feeling? Yeah. I'm feeling good. I, I hope you do more than believe because you're the one who's supposed to guide us, Trevor. I, I um, I'm prepared. Don't worry. I just had I just double okay, guessed okay. myself. Fair, fair. I'm doing great. I'm excited as always to talk about Oathbringer. Um and we get some really cool details this week that I'm I'm excited to dive into. Elliot? Same. I'm I'm starting to get really intrigued with where our story is going and what our characters are having to uh to deal with. So some some good questions this week for sure. Good. Uh Paul, do you have two words to summarize this episode? I do, I do. So my biggest word or my the first word that came to my mind is toxicity, and my second word is prideful. So not very okay. kind words, but toxicity and prideful. Pretty critical words. Elliot? I went down a similar road, but perhaps a little more, more playful. My two words are casual drinking. <laughs> casual drinking. All right. With these two words, let's talk about Oathbringer. Alrighty. Casual drinking, toxicity. What was your what was your second one, Paul? Prideful. Prideful. Alright. So some some negative attributes attributes this week for I'm assuming they're gonna be applied to my to, to our main characters. Do you guys want to confirm or deny this? Paul, we'll start with you. I will neither confirm nor deny. No, I'm kidding. Um, my words, I feel like I usually single out uh, one of our characters this week. I, I really don't have anyone to single out specifically. I think toxicity applies pretty hands-on to all of our main characters. Not all of them. Um, it came to my mind mostly because How dare of you Shalons. talk about Kaladin that way? Yeah, but uh, it mostly came to be because of uh, Kalan excuse me, Shallan's casual drinking, right? Um, but also uh, a lot of the stuff with Dalinar's flashback and it looks like he was a rather toxic individual. Um, so those are the main reasons. Um, and then Prideful also went along with, with those two characters as well. Uh, specifically, we see a lot of confidence, but not necessarily a good type of confidence with Dalinar's flashbacks. Uh, as well as Shalon's drinking scene, uh, it's just a lot of a lot of you know wild behavior, justifiable or not, we can discuss. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of toxic behavior and a lot of confidence to go with it. Okay, Elliot, I'm I'm intrigued now to start talking about these these chapters because I I don't think I would have thrown Kaladin in that same uh, same bucket there, but I I was intending my words to apply mainly to Shalon with her 
episodes of casual drinking and some probably not so productive explorations of of alcohol there but also especially the casual portion of it i wanted that to apply to dalinar and the pretty hilarious scene where he goes and just casually strolls through a high storm you know nothing's happening just yeah out for a walk it was pretty great of course all right before we get too far into into this episode we have a spell check I don't know when the last time we had a spell check was, but here we are. We've met some new characters, or at least Kaladin has. And we'll go for the male Parshman who he has a conversation with later in Chapter 20, but uh, briefly in Chapter 17. Um, Elliot, we'll start with you, as we always do for these. I found who you're referring to on, on this one. It seems simple. I think Kaladin even mentions in one of these chapters about how they all seem to have fairly simple names. But I think the the guy he's talking to there is is Sa, the British pronunciation of of Sir, like yes, Sa, kind of thing. Quality, yes. Okay, that is how they say it in the audiobook. Uh, Paul, how would you like to spell Sa? Okay, I went with the most simple way I could, even though I didn't want to. Um, I just went with S-A-H for Sa. You are correct. Sa okay. is S-A-H. It's fairly... I really wanted to do like a Zeth moment and do like a S-Z <laughs> or something, um, but, but went back on that at the last second. So Sa, yes, Sa. All right, and our second Parshman, or Parshwoman, I guess, uh, Elliot? I believe her name is also just kind of going for simple, just Ken. Paul? Hey, they definitely say it as Ken, or, or Ken, I think. Um, I may have written this to this too much, but I went with a K-H-E-N. B-K-E-N. Brilliant. That is, that is correct. He he kind of has some phlegm going on when he says Ken, like Ken. <laughs> I, I can't I can't Ken. do it, but it's it's almost a cough, but yes. it doesn't sound like that at all, but I'm just speculating. And then uh there's a the seven year old girl Parshman, she her according to the wiki, her name is Vi V A I and we've been introduced to her but i'm not i don't remember if she was if her name is mentioned in the uh in the chapter or not i might have spoiled that for you sorry i apologize whoa can we careful, get a new guide man. in careful. here can we get a new leader <laughs> <laughs> someone come help us he's oh, not yeah. gonna spoil of no confidence yeah <laughs> can my can my vote count twice because i'm because I've no. read this book. Dang it. Okay. I was just hoping to tie the vote. <laughs> Alrighty. So, our Kaladin chapters. Kaladin gets... We left Kaladin. He got intentionally captured, more or less, by, by Parchment. He didn't intend to get spotted by this yellow spren that spots him, but he did intentionally give himself up 
and we pick up with him here in chapter 17 and he's i mean bless his heart he's really starting to commiserate with these parchment way more than he feels comfortable with and they actually seem to be fairly open to him as well like they obviously they're frustrated um with what's happened to them and as they talk back and forth about what's what's happened to their minds and how that's comparable to what Kaladin was in, how it's not comparable. There's, there's a fairly friendly dis- discourse here between Kaladin and Saw, and, but there's a very clear division, like a dividing line that Saw makes very clear to him. I think it's in chapter 20 uh, and how they're not comparable and at the same time. So what, what did you guys think of, we're getting to know a Parshman besides uh, Shen or Relaine. I, I guess we should call him. Um, so, what, what were your guys' thoughts? This was interesting. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. It, it's not that it's enjoyable. It is not a very fun conversation, but it gave a lot of perspective that I hadn't seen before. Even though we had had some dialogue with Relaine. Um, I think this really put into perspective that the Parshmen weren't just enslaved. They were kind of like robbed of their entire livelihood or their like f- mental functionality, which is a total different ball game. And I thought really like going into it, I thought Kaladin was going to be able to kind of break through to them in that he had this shared experience of being a slave. Um, but it was not the case at all. And I think that was really good and honestly put into perspective how big of a deal the Parchment being Dolform or Parchment really is uh, that I never really thought about. So I thought it was really impactful. Um, it kind of kind of hit me a lot. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I thought this chapter gave us a lot of insight into exactly what we're dealing with here as as these parchment. Are they the I still don't know if I can quite answer the question of are they the exact same as the Parshendi or are they not? Like I'm not hundred percent sure yet there, but it definitely seems clear that these are not warriors. These are not demons. These are not, you know it, it it's not these the and then wreck the world kind of people they seem just more like refugees or yeah the, these people have just been downtrodden their whole lives and now they've been given an awakening and they they get to express themselves for the the first time and so yeah this this definitely shifts my perspective on who we're dealing with who it seems like it does Kaladin as well i think through these two chapters here it gives better context for our previous couple chapters as well as when Kaladin's yeah. whole- when Kaladin approaches Hearthstone and says, "How many of how many of them, or how many people died at the hand of the Voidbringers?" and they're like, "Well, they didn't really attack us; they just left." And it was the heist; it was the Everstorm that really did the damage. And then when he's going around in the villages, they're like, "Oh, they just attacked our grain storage; they didn't really hurt anybody." And the people they did hurt, they deliberately didn't kill. So there's there's a lot of humanity for lack of a better term uh, behind um, behind the parchment. Yeah. It's kind of rough. There isn't a better term because I feel like that was uh, 
Saw's big problem. Right. Um, is that <laughs> they have to be compared to humanity and stuff, right? Um, but yeah, no, no, it was really good perspective. I, I hadn't really thought of it until you mentioned it, kind of. Like, are Parshman and Parshendi the same? Um, and this was the first time that I really thought maybe they are different. I don't think this is the right comparison, but it seems like there may be something kind of like a... Like, can we have dark eyes and wide eyes? It may be like the Parshmen yeah. are like the dark eyes almost, and the Parshendi are like the light eyes. Because our Parshmen have only known this like dull form and been very like kind of pacifist or just peaceful people. Um, and our Parshendi have had these forms and they... I don't know, seem more in the loop or just like just higher on the social ladder almost. I, I mean, the Parsh, Parshmen were quite literally the bottom of any kind of social ladder we've seen. Um, so maybe that's not a fair comparison, but um, th th that was something I thought of, which I'm, I'm not thinking of too strongly, but there could be a difference there where these people really have no interest or no ambition to fight or anything like that so taking your comparison there are you make are you making the argument that light eyes operate on a higher plane of ex like mental existence than dark eyes are you are, are you dark eyes uh, dark eyes as most alethi are <laughs> no that's not what i'm saying and also like there's lots of things i've thought of that just make it not true like dark eyes do fight like they're usually soldiers right um and stuff like that um but just kind of that there's i guess a difference that's like outside of a shard blade not really like surpassable maybe or like over overcomable i don't know if our parchment can change forms i'm assuming they can but maybe they just choose not to or don't feel a need to um so that was so that's where I'm trying to figure this out is with is with the forms. I'm trying to figure out what form are these parchment in now? Is it a form that we're familiar with, like work form or war form or something like that? And if if they do have the same forms, that would kind of push me down the lines of okay, we're talking about the same types of beings here. But if they have like different categories of forms or something like that, or they're limited in the number of forms they can take. Yeah, maybe we're talking about some sort of you know subclass of they call themselves the listeners. Like, do they have like different you know subspecies amongst that? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure yet. Kind of related. We've seen our stormlight versus our what we've considered. Well, let me start here. We've seen our high storm versus our everstorm and we've maybe started to see some stormlight versus whatever else you want to call it we've had a couple thoughts on on whatever the opposite of stormlight is i want to take this down a down a bunny trail here for a second um everything that's tied to stormlight and the night's radiant what, what, what do we have? We have Spren. We have Shard Blades. Shard Plate, maybe? Uh, Rishadium, maybe? 
We've got surge bindings. Anything else? Yeah, I was thinking of just like the Knights Radiant as a whole. Uh, the Heralds, if you want to count them, maybe. So how much are we... How much... How much is entailed with this Everstorm? What what else is coming with this Everstorm? Any guesses? Any thoughts here? I think we mentioned this before. In one of our very first or early down our flashbacks, he has to fight these creatures that seem to be not of this world and seem to... Remember, they had some sort of shadowy essence to them black smoke or something like poured out from them but i i'm wondering if the everstorm is going to bring creatures of that sort are we going to start to see beings that weren't aren't normally around or maybe are associated with the the desolations that that could perhaps be in that in that category maybe very well could be one thing i'm just remembering also is the Parshendi, okay, we know they have one shard blade. We know Ash and I has a shard blade, right? Yes. So they could just kind of be the opposite of a normal shard bearer or a normal shard blade. And then, I don't know, we, we've gotten a little bit of info with that. But just kind of the concept that there's going to be, like, if not an exact opposite or just kind of like an equal threat on the evil side could very well be. And yeah, like you were saying, Ellie, the midnight essence that we've saw a long time ago, there's kind of no telling what kind of stuff there could be. I feel like maybe the key to figuring this out is going to be the spren. We're seeing a, a new spren adding these, these parchment and it's described Similarly to Sill, right? It's a, a ribbon of yellowy, light. yeah, ribbon of light, almost like a the opposite of a windsprint or something like that. And we don't even know anything about it yet to even draw, you know, conclusions about you know what what this kind of sprint is. But I, I really want to know because this seems to be perhaps a source of part of the like reason why. Like what what are these parchment trying to do? What are they? What is their goal now that they've awakened? I think the spren seems to be leading them, and maybe that's our source of figuring that out. I think you're right. Um, I am really grateful for it. So also, I don't know, maybe I did a poor job of explaining it earlier but i was not including kaladin in my little words of toxicity and things earlier. i, I know you weren't i was just yeah. making a joke trevor causing trouble again <laughs> um anyways uh, i'm really glad that kaladin is in this situation like very glad it's it's probably what i'm most interested in right now uh, because he's going to give us a lot of information that we could really see um, something I've thought about a little bit. I guess this is my little, I say little as if this isn't a big deal, my prediction for what's going to happen. Uh, but just 
the whole premise of kind of what we have going on this war and this division and Dalinar's character, especially since this is Dalinar's book. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that the whole premise is just gonna be to unite not only the people of Alethkar, but the Parshendi too. Like literally everyone in this world. Um that's a very big lofty goal and if that happens it's gonna happen at the end of like the fifth book or something um but i think it's very possible i I think it may end up being something where like everyone unites against these like evil spren or something like that i feel like we really haven't still haven't seen our like big ultimate bad it's kind of a shadow or mystery right now we know of these like nine shadows unmade Mm -hmm, the unmade uh but we don't fully know anything about that but i'm gonna guess that just our parchment especially seeing how inherently peaceful our parchment are um that there's just they're kind of being puppeteered we we know that already with the storm form we've seen that it takes away a lot of the rational thinking but um i'm at least i'm gonna be really optimistic and hope that uh, that they ev- everyone unites, and we have a happy ever after against these evil spren. And then, you know, sounds good. Could, it, you're right. Unite it, them it, is very vague. Mm-hmm. Because the plan right and, now is to unite Alethkar, but I think it may go bigger than that. But yes, sorry. No, no, no problem. I was just going to jump in there and, and add that I, I agree. Unite them is vague. And I think a big question Dalinar is going to have to tackle here is how? We're getting this parallel of his past where they were uniting Alethkar just through a very violent means. And so is Dalinar going to have to resort to that kind of uniting of the entirety of Roshar? Or can he do it through peaceful diplomatic means? Maybe that's going to be his big dilemma. Any more thoughts on Kaladin and his adventure with the parchment here? Shall we move on? Actually, I have one. I just won't really want to highlight how quickly... The parsh I, I brought this up a little bit earlier, but how quickly the parshmen are open to conversation here. They Kaladin summons Sil as a shard blade, cuts his own ties, and then they're like totally fine with it. Like they don't like they're still I mean they're not, but you know, the next chapter they're still having a conversation with him and he's he's just proving that he can he can help them and he wants to help them and they're very quick to accept his help. I, what are your guys' thoughts on this as you're reading it for the first time that they, they, they're kind of just chill with it when Kaladin shows up and it's like, Hey, I can help you. They're like, okay. And they, they don't even really think about it. I, I feel like. Yeah. I, I want to make sure I get it straight. Doesn't he, I don't think they know he has a shard 
blade, doesn't he? He uses still as like a little knife to cut his rope. Right. And then goes over there and smashes a rock button. Is like, actually, you should do this. Here's some dry wood, and we can, if you have my tinder bag, we can get a fire going. Right. right. And they're like, cool. Um, just on that in general, it seems like they're open to suggestions because I think they're a little bit lost at the moment. Um, I believe is it saw who who gets a little upset just talking with Kaladin because he's like yeah I shouldn't need you you know like he doesn't want to to talk to him but um almost feels like he needs the help or wants could the help is the advice is actually like useful and helpful um but yeah you have a point they don't just uh like silence or i feel like if my hostage broke out i would be like okay like right like we've got to do something more serious about this right you know uh, we can't just have him breaking out all the time so yeah that's something i didn't think of it, it just kind of glanced over that it's like yeah you know they're friends now yeah i think my my take on it was they they seem very childlike they they're just very oh you're you're gonna help us we're not thrilled with that, but sure, yeah, let's let's do it. They just seem a bit naive, maybe, like they've just been created. Almost, it's it's not only have they just awakened; they they seem very sort of coming to grips with the world, very naive. That that was my kind of take on it. Yeah, that's fair. They could have just assumed, like, oh, I don't know how to tie a knot. I guess that even though I thought I did, and. They could have just accepted that. But. Alrighty. Chapter 18. We have Shalon, or more specifically Vale, going back to our separate separate personas, which, Paul, you're such a big fan of. Um I must say it's it's mostly my complaints are with brightness radiant. Okay. That's our character's name. Vale has been around. Vale is fine. It's it seems like a uh, a fitting thing, you know, it serves a purpose, so anyways. Vale certainly does serve a purpose, but Elliot, you have something here on the outline that's very interesting here. There's I feel like there's a clearer line between Vale and Shallan and Shallan and Ra- Brightness Radiant, where Sh- Brightness Radiant is kind of just a better version of Shallan in Shallan's eyes. Like, I don't really want to say that, but that's how she views it. So that's yeah. how I'm going to say it. But Vale is a completely different person. So, Elliot, you have something on the outline here that could. Uh, argue the other side of that from Shalon's perspective. I don't know if you really want to tie that in, but go ahead. Are you referring to my quote? Is it the... I am, yeah. The, uh, so I, I picked up an interesting thing in this this chapter because Pattern and Shalon have a quick interchange moment that caught me as oh boy, this could be big. Shalon is thinking about i think she's actually talking with marais at this point but she says 
she's thinking about her brothers and she's worried for a second that she fabricated her memories of them and pattern like jumps in and is like on a second that that isn't the lie can't you tell and then shalon kind of snaps out of it and they, they move on as if nothing happened but i was definitely as i was reading i was like well hold on hang on a second if if shalon gets so far into this like multiple roles thing and different you know illusions and different you know strings of lies that she's telling is she gonna forget what's real is that going to be a battle she's going to have to fight? Is that a, a pit she's going to start to fall into where she can't even remember what's real and what's not? That could be really bad, like, you know, like losing your identity really bad. So the, that scared me, that little section. Yeah, she's so caught up in the, the role of Veil and Brightness Radiant and Shalon and trying to balance all of that. And she has this identity crisis of wait, did I make up Shalon? Did I make up my entire backstory? Like, right. who, who am I? And so there's... The, the, the lines aren't as aren't as clear as one might think between Shalon and Vale here. I think it is and- pretty safe to say that Shalon is a method actor or actress. Um, <laughs> she goes pretty, pretty hard for this. Um... I'm I'm curious to hear Elliot's thoughts a little bit just in this. I, I hope I'm not leaving that topic too soon or anything. And it's still on the same topic, but just like Shalon's means of finding her answers in this series of chapters here. Um not necessarily that she so she's kind of making a scene at all these bars, um, trying to find info, but I feel like she's getting carried away and kind of just like she is actively building a reputation for Vale to kind of like be tough and not be messed with, which I think serves a great purpose. Like that, I that makes sense. Um, but also, I was just kind of curious to get your thoughts, Elliot, on this as a whole, because I feel like there could have been a much better plan, and this was kind of just a I'm gonna be really drastic about everything. Um, from Shalon or Vale, yeah. Here. Yeah, your comment about her her acting is is a good one. I, I think you're right. She's getting very in character here. She's thinking about what would Vale do, and then she just goes and does it and doesn't really think about necessarily whether it's the responsible thing to do or the best way to tackle this. She's just, you know, I'm Vale, so I'm going to go get be drunk and, and see who I can, you know, talk into giving me information because that's what Vale would do. And, it, yeah, it it kind of makes me think like that that's a good way perhaps for her to get information. It's a good way for her to build up her, her character of Vale and give Vale some good, you know, authenticity and believability, but she can go too far down the rabbit hole. If she's not careful. She, she might get one lost in the whole Vale thing, but two, if, if she starts to try and, you know, balance three, four, five, six different characters that she's all, you know, developing all at the same time. Like the amount of mental effort it's going to take for her to keep all the lies straight as pattern, I'm sure would tell it like that's going to come back to bite her for sure. I, I wonder if, if, yeah, if she's going to be able to do that, if she keeps doing this, can she keep the two different? Yeah. 
I, I also so this may just be me thinking too realistically, right? This is our our fantasy, not you know, storyline. Yeah. There's lots of things in this world that don't completely make sense, right? Um, like in our real world mm-hmm. application, right? Yeah. But one of my thoughts was also just she's going so far into this character veil, like into making veil extreme, that I feel like it's hurting her credibility of. Vale's reputation. I, I'm thinking of it mostly with like drinking all the like Horneater White and stuff. I don't know fully what the like comparison between that and whatever the other one is, right? But I feel like it's it makes it too unbelievable for like a normal person on Roshar. This is me being very picky, um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like that was almost a little bit too extreme that it's like no one's gonna believe that someone like did that albeit i will say though using the ghost bloods like emblem there does kind of make it make it work uh, because it's it, to maybe other people they're like it's this ambiguous oh the ghost bloods are super mysterious and and sneaky and powerful or whatever and like um if you know what i'm talking about there but i don't know i i felt like it was a little too far but also i I, I enjoyed these chapters, honestly. I feel like this isn't a complaint. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate um, with with Vale here um, and so, her, her methods. As a first-time reader, I remember thinking that, yeah, Shalon's way in over her head here, that she she tries, she tries asks for colored wine, first of all, which is strike one, and then she mm-hmm. asks for the hardest stuff they've got, and they gave her moonshine basically and and she like you know can't breathe or whatever and then burns it off with a little stormlight and then what was going with oh and so i was thinking well she's just gonna ruin her reputation before she before she makes a a good one or a good you know whatever a tough exterior one but i also thought about that at the same time of well, if she does make a fool of herself, she can just try again the next night with somebody else, right? She can just paint a new face and go go again. So, you do, you do have a good point. So, might yeah. as well, you know, go for it. And that's true. That's that that's a good point. You, you would think though that she'd need to do the the practicing with a a new alias and not burn the identity she's worked so hard on right. by going out getting you know all this crazy stuff like stabbing thugs and, and whatnot with her main alias. But yeah, this, this is turning into quite the undercover spy operation for Shalon. As far as the, as far as her, what she's there to do, did you guys have any thoughts on this? Another another murder that she's investigating here, what she's actually in theory there to do instead of just drink wine. I, I am a little bit curious about this because like as the reader, we know Adolin murdered Sadius, right? Right. And so these other murders are like separate. And it's weird because aren't they trying to like link this to Sadius's death? Like yes. there's a murderer about, Who's going around killing people, right? And so I, I'm I'm a little confused. It's either like an odd coincidence or I mean it's 
good for Adolin because it's like if they find this guy, then they can try to pin Sadius's death on him. But I'm a little curious or worried almost that like what if it's someone who's important or like what if I don't know we don't know I feel like this is going to turn out to be a bigger storyline thing or bigger situation than just like oh there's a murder like some rogue no name murderer you know um so there's just a lot of hidden potential I guess so I'm curious to see where it goes I I completely agree with you Paul and the the information that Shalon digs up changes the game for me on this because at first we were just thinking that hey, Sadius got killed. We know who did that. Another person gets killed in exactly the same way. That seems to hint at someone's like trying to get it pinned on Adolin, or someone's trying to you know do something specific in the whole Dalinar versus Sadius. Uh, conflict but then here in the uh, in the the back alleys and bars of Urethiru we now have a fairly random murder and that these these thugs take out somebody and then someone comes along and copycats that same murder like that seems yeah completely unrelated it seems like there's someone out there copycatting murders for the sake of copycatting murders like that's that's completely different and much stranger, actually. Can you can you elaborate on which murders you're talking about? For the back alley in one? In this chapter. Right. So so in this chapter, we learn that there was I don't remember all the details. Some you know, drunk guy who killed his wife, right? Right. And so then the Later on, we we learn that the, the a barmaid got murdered, killed the same way, like exact same way, right? Right. Wasn't that how? It yep. So that's the copycat death I'm, I'm referring to. Which, yeah, maybe could be a coincidence. The fact that Shalon is hearing about it, and just for the fact that we're reading about it, we probably wouldn't be reading about it if it wasn't of importance so yeah strange yeah i just wanted to make sure that you did catch that before i gave it away that yes there's like there's a drunk thug guy who murders his wife and then there is a second murder of some young barmaid behind a tavern of the exact same the exact same method that he killed his wife on so Elliot, you have a bullet point here that says wine is just a general term for alcohol on on Roshar, and we have a couple of the, we have a couple of these that uh, Brandon Sanderson has put in here. Um, alcohol, uh, wine is one of them. Chickens is a ch- yep. is another. <laughs> Minks is another. Um, I think there's one more, but it's just Brandon Sanderson's been asked about this. And he says he, it's his – he just thinks it's funny that there are some – like when you're a young kid, you, you just substitute words for other words in your head, and that's how you equate them. So just for like – take it an example. Instead of the word meat, you just use the word 
you know, chicken because that's yep. the most common meat for you. So you're just going to call everything chicken. What kind of chicken are we having tonight? So what kind of wine are we having tonight? That's just his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one had me confused. I'm, I'm reading this whole you know chapter and I'm thinking like, on a second, they're clearly talking about like vodka and you know liquor, yeah. liquor you know moonshine kind of alcohol but they're calling it wine and, and i just kind of realized by halfway through i'm like oh I, okay i get it wine is just a general reference to alcohol and i can't believe we're two and a quarter books into the series and this is the <laughs> first time I'm, I'm realizing this that when they say wine they're just talking about alcohol in general but they also have they, they say beer so there's there's obviously beer is is something specific or separate but yeah wine seems to be way more than what like you and i might think of as as wine that was interesting and i don't know if this is 100 accurate but i'm fairly certain that the different colored wines that the light eyes have are different alcohols because the whatever whatever wine that the that the colon, the colonar men, Dalinar's men are supposed to stick to to not get drunk and not have alcohol. It's just fruit juice. So, and and they have a specific color for that. And then there's like, you know, purple and orange and all that fun stuff. So those are supposed to, I'm fairly certain those are supposed to be different alcohols entirely as opposed to just different wines. And, and that hit me too as I was reading this. I'd always just assumed those were like the different types of wine, like, you know, merlot and whatever else is out there but the yeah i i'm with you it seems like we're now talking about you know different alcohol levels you know up from your you know for light spritzer all the way up to you know whiskey and who knows what else yeah i don't actually remember the color like order but it definitely talks about it at some point, if I had to guess, I'd say that orange is like the second hardest or something like that. And then maybe violet is the, the strongest. I think you're correct. Yeah. Um, I I remember in one of our chapters, Delanor talks about violet wine or something. I, so um, I bet somebody out there can tell us somebody jump in yeah. the comments and tell us what a what the hierarchy of, yeah. of Alethi wines is in colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was something that new that I learned though from this chapter is just that for for non like for, for uh dark eyed bars or just the place that Shalon is at, they don't color it. I thought it was just everything was colored, but I guess the colors are just something that the light eyes add. Just you know, for aesthetic pleasure, I guess, to make it look nice. Um but I, I didn't know that. That's not an important detail. But um, the bar keep there at uh, one of the places Shalom goes is like, what do you mean you need orange? Like, this is orange. It's just literally not orange. It's just not colored orange. Yeah, it's the <laughs> same stuff. But um. Paul, you mentioned Dalinar a second ago, and your uh or i guess elliot's words were casual drinking so do you guys want to move on to chapter 19 where we have an interesting 
exchange of old Dalinar and his brother and Sadius and ELA's there too. So this this is interesting. I, I wanna kick it off a little bit just um just kind of on the notion of I, I think it's really neat whenever we get to see a little bit of Gavilar dialogue yeah. in these flashback chapters. Um, most notably here, it, it feels like Gavilar in the flashback chapters is just current day Dalinar. Um, just about where, where it's like, okay, let's honor these codes. Like, let me tell you, do you have a moment to talk about the way our, of Kings? Our Lord like, Savior yeah. Noadon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, cause Dalinar, Dalinar is definitely, he's the Blackthorn here. He's very gruff. Part of my words, toxicity and prideful, were because of this. He's just loud and br- like rash and just everything. And Gavilar is like, "All right, Dalinar, like, let me tell you about this book you should read and just all this stuff." And like, let's talk about the honor codes of old and all this stuff, right? And it just very much sounds like current day Dalinar, where he's focused on honor and things. And let's try and like restore, you know, this this sense of well-being that may have used to been um which i thought was pretty interesting um i want to jump in there if i'm not interrupting you too much paul because i i noticed what you're saying but this was the first time i did notice that it, it seemed to me in the previous flashbacks that was not the case that gavilar was very much on the sadius and down our boat of you know roll in, kill as many as we can, the rest won't dare resist us kind of approach. But here in this scene, it seems like Gavilar has changed a little bit. He is talking about, hey, actually, by the way, you know, why are we doing all this? You know, what are we doing all this for? Let's talk about you know, what the end goal is here. And Dalinar's like, nope, just point me at the you know, next enemy. Don't want to talk about it. But it makes me wonder, like, why? What's making Gavilar change? Why? What's What's causing him to think differently about this? Is it just, you know, he found a book, he found Way of Kings, and now he's reading it. It's like, oh, light bulb. Or is there someone else that's like an influence on him? Or did something happen that's causing Gavilar to like question some of this? I'm I'm curious now why Gavilar is dabbling, I guess, in Noadon or whatever else it is. I see what you mean. And you're probably right about Gavilar. I guess I Gavilar as a whole, I have the picture of him when we heard about him in the first book, which is very much he he was interested in this the, the way of kings. Yep. And, and all the stuff and that was kind of his focus which was much more modern than I guess when we first started seeing these flashbacks. Um so I'm guessing we'll see some of that development. Uh, but whenever I think of Gavilar, that's who I think of was the one who was right. Like, let's honor the these war codes and stuff like that, and we can see how Dalinar's kind of picked that up uh, from him over over time. But I guess I still kind of have that picture of him like that, and I didn't think of him as being like one of the one of the rough guys. Um, from before so you both are 100 percent correct that gavilar started this book oathbringer in our flashback chapters as you know dare i say a tyrant 
going across the going across Alakar <laughs> trying to you you know unite everybody under him and using his brother and his armies to to do so and then in this chapter we're closer to you know why are we doing this let's talk about the philosophy here the sun maker why did he fail that type of thing and paul you you started this off with it's very interesting to see gavilar's dialogue because um he's you can obviously see there's a, a change starting to happen what we've seen dalinar do and what we've also seen um the rest of alethkar view dalinar as a weakness as he's headed towards this over the last three books as as dalinar be- tried to adapt the the way of kings into his life the rest of the high princes laughed at him and and they weren't really subtle about it either so do you guys think the same thing's going to be happening for Gavilar as he's trying to unite these these high princes the first time or as he, as he's going more towards this maybe classic pacifist leader uh, style in the way of kings as opposed to the tyrant um would, would he run into the same dilemma here that Dalinar already faced or that Dal- Dalinar will face I I think it's actually a little bit different from both. I think, um, so Gavilar definitely started right. We know as kind of this, like you said, kind of a tyrant, or, or like you basically take by force, you conquer through force. Um, but I, what I always think, what I'm thinking of is kind of the last words that Gavilar said. I don't remember exactly, uh, but doesn't he just tell Dalinar like you. he must find? the most important words a man can say. Or... Yes, exactly that. I'm so proud of you, Paul. I'm so Thanks. proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, cause that stuck with me. That was a very impactful moment. That was in the prologue. Right? Yes, the prologue, the prologue of The Way of Kings. Yes. Yes. And so based off of that, and basically that alone, um, I'm I'm un- at the assumption that Gavilar had something really important that he know needed to be done but I don't know that he necessarily had a stance of this needs to be done honorably and through, I don't know, uniting. I don't know what his intentions were. It could have just been, we need to find these most important words at any cost, I guess. Um, I, I would like to say that he was doing it with honor because we see his influence on these like codes and the way of kings and know it on and all that stuff. Um, but I don't know that he was just like, kind of like this perfect, it's ambiguous. Um, I guess I would like to, to make the guess that it was kind of just like at whatever cost, whether that's force or I maybe ideally through honor, but, but end goal is finding these, the most important words a man can say. And that's, that's it. Like that's the bottom line that we need to get to. Can I jump in here real quick? Mm-hmm. Tell my brother to find the most important words a man can say. That's what he says to, to Zeth as he's killing him. So obviously he thinks this is important enough to tell his assassin as just a a far-fetched, you know, maybe 
Zeth will will honor this and tell tell my brother, which he does. Um, why? Well, from Gavlar's perspective, actually, I'll ask it a different way. Who else is saying important words? All of our knights radiant. Okay. Does Gavilar, six years prior to all of this happening, seven years, I think, does Gavilar know about these words that are being spoken? Is Gavilar a knight's radiant when he dies? So we we must know that he has some kind of relation to this because we do see his conversation with Esh and I, right? And right. we see that he has kind of these big plans to like awaken the old gods or things like that, which I'm just going to go ahead and make the jump that that ties into Night Radiant powers at some point or at a minimum shard blades. Um... So prob- probably he, at a minimum, knew about it or understood it, whether or not he himself was a Night Radiant. We don't know, and maybe wouldn't have made a difference, but... Yeah, that The prologue of this book gives us a little bit of hints there, but it's almost, as usual, more confusing than it is helpful, because remember the same as you, Paul, it seems like Gavilar is a little more keyed into like bringing back the gods of the Parshendi. That was kind of the implication out of that. And so are, are the words that he's referring to like more aligned with that, that faction than they are with the Knights Radiant? Or is he is the words most important words a man can say actually not Knights Radiant Oath, but something more like a Parshendi, you know? summoning of their gods sort of thing like yeah i i really don't know i didn't think we'd be having this conversation this episode but i'm i'm here I for did, it <laughs> i didn't either i honestly don't even know how we got here i guess time on gavilar but yes i i too and i think it's gotta be it elliot like i don't know what else it could be right now other than like these words are some way tied to the Parshendi gods, right? If it's not an awakening, it's a way to maybe if there's some form of spread like bind them. Like I don't know. There's lots of crazy things mm, that could yeah. be. Um where you could kind of like wield that power perhaps. Um because obviously if Gavilar knew the words, he would have told Zeth to tell Dalinar what they are, right? As opposed to hey Dalinar, go find maybe. out what the most important words are. <laughs> true that is true also just just as a note it changed my perspective a little bit i i thought these final words were actually spoken to dalinar i remembered that incorrectly you're right he says it to zeth but i i thought it was like dalinar finds him uh, you know taking his last breath and he's like you gotta go find the most important words a man can say or whatever he tells it Um, to zeth and zeth carves it on a piece of the plank that's mm -hmm. collapsed next to him yeah. And actually, everybody in Alethkar 
assumes Gavilar did Gavilar that himself. Write. Yeah, yes. they assume he can read and write. Correct. Yeah. I forgot about those details. Wow. It, regardless, the Gavilar of that night and the Gavilar here seem quite different. That they seem like maybe Gavilar's Gavilar's on the path to get there, but Gavilar has a lot more to learn, it seems, than it over however many years this is gonna be. On the flip side, Dalinar seems to go in the opposite direction. Like this is Dalinar not very honorable, likes to kill people, but we know this is not his low. He's going to get worse. At least that's the implication of on that night, he's so, you know, out of it and completely drunk that he's completely useless. So, uh, where, are they, where are the two of them going? Chapter 19 specifically is a very interesting scene because Dalinar has a very interesting line after action scene of this of this scene happens this whole this whole he sets up this sanderson sets up this scene of dalinar's having a feast with his brother and he just wants to be at war but he is not at war and he's just you know he's gonna settle for the politics today because he has to and he sits down to have some of his pork chop or whatever and there's no knife and he's terribly upset about it that he doesn't even think about it. He just walks out into this high storm to the next tent or to the next building or whatever to ask his, you know, right-hand man, yo, what did I do with my knife? And they all look at him like, uh, okay, first of all, why are you out in the high storm? Second of all, I have no idea where your knife is. What are you talking about? And then he's like, oh, you're right. My knife is, you know, back in the barracks or whatever. And he just turns around and walks back out. I'll come back to that part shortly goes back in talks with you know Sadius and his brother and stuff and then there's an assassin trying to kill Gavilar does this like 360 kicks his brother's stool out from under him so that the knife misses decks the assassin pulls the knife out of thin air and stabs him in the chest pulls the chi- pulls the knife out of the guy's chest washes it in his wine and eats with that knife and then he thinks to himself, well, at least I washed the knife. I'm not a barbarian. Like, dude, you, w- <laughs> look what you just did. First of all, you're a boss, and everybody like is acknowledging it in the, in the feast room here. Second of all, what on earth are you doing eating with that knife, man? Like, <laughs> come on. That's so I gross. I down on our... <laughs> no, I, uh... That, that was actually why I, um... That was part of why I had my words, toxicity and prideful. I feel like neither of them 100% matches it, but kind of together they do. It's just like, a, like, yeah, what are you doing eating with that knife? Like, come on. Like, it, like you're just, I don't know. It, it was almost like the entire reason he took out the assassin was just to get the knife. To get the knife. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I need to eat. Here that and how dare you try and assassinate Gavilar with that i need that way more than you two give it to me so i can be my meat with it like w- what yeah he's an interesting character in the scene for, for uh, to say the least but 
back to the back to the high storm section, which I said I'd get back to. Do you guys remember what happens right before he goes back in this tent? Elliot, I'm I wonder if you made a note on this because it's a very weird like two lines of of dialogue that maybe I can find it if you want to talk about it for a second, but uh go ahead. What I think you're referring to is as he walks back, he sees a huge glowing figure or creature of some kind out in the storm. Yes. And that's what I'm referring to. We've seen these things before, actually. I'm trying to remember where. I think Kaladin saw them when he and Shalon were stuck out on the shattered plains, I want to say. They saw a similar creature. I I think we may have even had some oblique references to them in other places, so it didn't surprise me. It was more of a, oh, there's those weird out-in-the-middle-of-the-high-storm creatures who are described as, like, massively huge and really big, kind of glowy. But, yeah, in this scene, I think Downer just, like, flips it off and then goes back or whatever he's doing. Yeah, it. I, I have it in front of me here. I should have prepared it, but I, I have it. A large boulder slammed into the wall, then bounced away. Dalinar glanced and saw something luminous in the distance, a gargantuan figure that moved on spindly, glowing legs. Dalinar stepped back up to the feast hall, gave the whatever it was a rude gesture, then pushed open the door. And that's all it says. And I remember reading that for the first time. I'm like, wait a minute wait a minute like what hold on first of all is dalinar like you know tipsy and doesn't really acknowledge what's happening or is he just completely not surprised to see this thing in the high storm second can i get more than one sentence of description of whatever this thing is in the high storm and it's huge and loot i was upset when i read this the first time i was like excuse me like literally just a crumb of detail like can we get a crumb can we get a spare crumb of information here no i uh i need to confess i don't remember i don't i didn't i read this chapter twice and i didn't pick up on that so that's a uh, interesting it sounds so you pointed out before i don't remember if it was the cover or back side of the cover of words of radiance or oathbringer but it's you talked about it it's those big legs. Yeah, we're assuming it goes belong to some big creature. Um, so maybe this is a little more foreshadowing to whatever th- that guy is, our uh, Mister Mister Storm Leg Man. You know, Storm Leg Man. Yeah. I I was just wanted to bring this up because I remember reading reading this for the first time and. It definitely slapped me harder than it did you, Paul, because, yeah, I mean, you didn't remember it. But I, <laughs> I read it for the first time, and I was like, "What? What? Hello? Am, it, am I am I crazy thinking back to Kaladin and Shalon? Didn't Kaladin see something similar? Yes, I don't remember that. Okay, <laughs> when they're hiding in the crevice in Words of Radiance, he, I mean, granted, he thinks he sees something out in the high storm like on the plateau right and it's like massive and but you know there's it it's a high storm who can who can tell 
is kind of the vibes you get on that one. This one, Dalinar just sees it and doesn't care at all. <laughs> Super casual. Whatever. It's So the fact that it was seen kind of more recent day by Kaladin and Shalon makes me more curious. So my... <laughs> Once again, with a lot of my thoughts of these things that are kind of dropped in there, I'm like, where is that going to fit in? Like, we have our plate is so full. We've got like a second plate, and we, we've got like our whole table is full of questions and problems yes. and things. So I'm and like, okay, so where does where do our sleepless fit in? Like, that can't work. Like, we don't have any room for that. Um, and that's almost my thought with this of like, where does this big thing fit in? I almost think. It's probably not the same thing, but I think of the thunder clasts or whatever it is from our prelude, um, just because it's thunder related and this is a high storm. Mm. Um, but are they a big deal or are they just kind of big chasm fiends? So I don't know if I don't know are if this they is the high storm. Do they right. bring the high storm? I don't know if this is accurate to what. But this is what my mind is on the scale of, where I think of Thunderclass on the scale of, like, a Chasm Fiend. You know, like, maybe 100, 150 feet high, and, you know, it's it's big. But in my mind's eye, this thing is, like, massive. Like, skyscraper height type type massive. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's what my mental picture is. is it's way bigger than than a chasm fiend whereas i have thunder class as a as more of a chasm fiend scale maybe he just wants to be friends i don't know we haven't confirmed he's mean it's so. true just because he's big doesn't mean he's yeah you're right you're right we well, shouldn't judge and and it could be it could be as simple as a sprint like it could be not even like a, a physical thing it could be a you know some sort of massive high, high storm spren yeah spirit like sprenish creature that like doesn't even affect the world around it it could Who be knows? the storm father honestly like sure kaladin's seen the storm father so why can't we've, that... we've seen so it talks if we're talking on this massive scale which i feel like this is a little bit of it's not a rabbit hole but whatever so we've seen the face of the storm father in these storms right yeah. it just talks about it kind of fills the whole sky what if that's literally just this guy's head like <laughs> like that's his body the storm father's this body is the body is that goes on that head thing. and like we've just seen him duck down and put his head in front of kaladin or Dalin or whoever right but the whole body was behind. We just didn't see because he's got this big old head, you know, in front of us. <laughs> so <laughs> I f I'm going to go ahead and just make the assumption that they're not the same, though, that this is not the storm father walking around. Um, but I, it's interesting. I think I'm... I. Go ahead. I, I agree with you, Paul. I'm chalking this one up on the, the whiteboard of numerous questions of what the heck is this? This gets a new entry for me uh, <laughs> yeah that's true i i'm the only thing i'm curious about is 
like why are these always in the high storms? Like I, I'm I'm almost in the boat that these like the high storm is like an extension of this thing. Kinda sorta or like I don't know, like literally some high storm spren. Like sounds cheesy, but like literally I don't you know, like what I don't know that these things like necessarily hang out in high storms, but that they quite literally like are the embodiment, maybe. Who knows? I that's that's too big of a thing, I guess, for me to try and really speculate on right now. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um Alright. I don't um, know. Enough of high storms, Brandon. Stormfather, Kremlin, leg man, and stuff and, like that. Any any closing thoughts on this episode? I'm curious to see our yellow sprint, our yellow ribbon of light. Okay. Yeah. What is what is Kaladin gonna do next? That that's also my I think question out of these chapters is mm-hmm. how how is resolve with his relationship he's building with the Parshman. That is definitely my big question. So there's a very interesting dynamic here that Kaladin's starting with his storyline here that, you know, in classic Star Wars fashion before Rogue One was a thing, it's stormtroopers are bad, it's okay to kill stormtroopers because they're bad. And then in modern or more recent Star Wars, it's well, not all stormtroopers are bad, you know, not everybody's got their own story, so that type of thing. And this is what we're presented with now is, you know, Knights Radiant are good. Void, you know, everybody from the Void, Voidbringers, Parshendi, whatever, are bad. And it's okay to kill Parshendi because they're bad. And that's us and them, as Kaladin says. And as soon as he puts Saw and his daughter in us as protect... I'm going to protect us because I'm a Windrunner. That raises a whole slew of questions for Kaladin, and it's really bothering him moving forward from here. So that's that's what was my takeaway from this episode. Yeah, it just got way more complicated. All right. With that, we can close this episode and read further. Thanks for joining me, uh, Paul and Elliot. See you guys next week. See ya. Bye.